This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project, teachers teaching teachers. Welcome to Write Answers. I'm Noah Waspy, and I'm here with Beth Reimer. Beth, how's it going? Hi, Noah. It's going well. It's going well, considering. Yeah, considering indeed. Uh, yeah. So before we get to all the things that we're considering, what's going on at, OW- at OWP right now? So I, a lot of supporting teachers, right? Uh, I mean, the High Writing Project is at its best and at its core teachers, teaching teachers and teachers helping each other out. So a lot of supporting teachers at OWP right now from from Twitter chats or with each other and to just knowing that as teachers together, we can solve problems with each other and we we can see all the hard work and the the, um, roadblocks and the celebrations that we're all going through. But then also some formal support, right? We are working in schools. So we are out helping teachers who are moving back and forth from hybrid teaching to face-to-face teaching to virtual teaching. And we're doing all those kinds of on-site school PD. So that's been pretty cool to really walk alongside teachers and learn together and support that. And then we have some, we have a great weekend workshop coming up where we have a workshop that's focused on vocabulary and building word consciousness. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. Vocabulary is not that exciting. Maybe that's not what I was thinking. I love vocabulary. Do you love vocabulary? Why yeah. do you love vocabulary? Because that's those. These are our Legos for our lang- our Lego blocks. My student, my former student, told me they're not called Lego. They are the Lego blocks that build our language. But I'm sorry. <laughs> continue. No, like I'm so glad you said that because I too think vocabulary is so interesting. And so on this weekend, we're going to talk about you know, what we know about vocabulary acquisition and knowledge and instruction through research. But we're also gonna talk about it in this whole word consciousness way, right? Mm -hmm. That they are the blocks that we build on. That actually our words have power and what words mean. So we're gonna be talking about code machine. And so we're gonna kind of stretch that idea of vocabulary and the power of words. It's the first weekend in November and it's gonna be virtual. So anyone could join. You don't even have to worry about being close to Cincinnati, Ohio. That's so incredible. This is what I love about Ohio Writing Project. It's it's always offering things that I didn't realize that I needed in addition to the things that I know that I need. Like right now, it's just, as you mentioned, it's just so crazy to be a teacher because, you know, in even under the worst uh, quote unquote normal circumstances, there's at least a playbook that we can find out there. Like we can find a book by a teacher writer that matches up with the situation, but there's not really a playbook. And on top of that, um, not everyone's operating out of the same system of plays. Like every school is doing something different. So you can't even like collaborate with teachers in different schools because they're not necessarily doing what you're doing. And that's why I love what OWP is offering. Just to make a shameless ad here. (laughs) 
OWP well, customizes the professional development to whatever your school is doing. And that's so powerful. I'm all for shameless um, plugs, but I, you just said something really interesting too, that maybe we'll, we should have a podcast about this, about this idea of vocabulary, maybe after our workshop, but that um, the way that vocabulary might intersect with routines, which we've talked about before here, and that in these moments when, when everything is disrupted, some really solid routines for students and teachers that are also smart. I think vocabulary is one of those things that as teachers, we struggle to figure out how does it fit, but it actually could fit in a really cool way right now. Yeah. So that's what we're hoping that happens at our weekend workshop, but it'll be a room of teachers. So it's going to be smart and it's going to be amazing. And once it becomes part of your routine, you don't have to worry about how it's going to fit. It's already there. Right. Right. So that's what we're doing at OWP. I love it. So I have a poem to share before we get any further, Beth. It's actually by an Ohio writing project teacher writer, Tim Reisert, one of the people that's being interviewed today. The poem is called Light Shine. Wherever you think of the wisp of the willow and the trail of the wind toward the distant light shine, feel your way around the trunk of the maple, then ease into the shadow, the wing movement of a luna, the now tired swell of locusts, to then rest in the pillow moss and dry leaves and hard root. That's just such a great poem. And what a great mentor text for parallel construction at the end. I, I read everything as a teacher. I need to stop that and just enjoy the poem and just sit with it for a minute. <laughs> yeah, I just read it. I just sat with it. Um, I know knowing Tim, uh, his words and his, the way he respects words comes out in this poem and just kind of the way light shine is written here. It just lets mm -hmm. you pause. And here I am sitting inside my house, but he took me outside to, to pause. So I, I love that. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. And if you are a teacher writer, uh, I'll include my email, my personal email in this episode's description. Send in your poetry. We'd love to feature it on our podcast. Um, so Tim Reisert, Tammy Bundy, Kendra Herber, Abigail Lund, they're all teacher writers and we interviewed them for this episode and there's a really good reason or a series of reasons that we're talking to writers and writing right now on right answers beth you want to talk about why writing is taking such a prominent taking such a prominent role right now in our community yeah absolutely so right so it's october 27th today when we're recording this and everybody's going to hear it really soon it's at the end of october and October has the National Day on Writing. We just celebrated it. And at the Ohio Writing Project, we got together in a small group and got to write together and share. And um, the National Writing Project celebrated this month with hashtag writeout, where they partnered with the National Park Service. And we had so many really cool writing prompts. And then this is um, Novel Writing Month, right? So this whole idea, like October has become this moment to pause and think about our lives as writers. And so you and I were talking, right? And it was like, what, who, who do we wanna talk to in Right Answers? Who's thinking, do we need to hear right now? And it was like, of course it's writers. This is the month. Let's sit around a table with writers and talk about writing. And you know, especially teacher writers is what we were thinking about because 
it's hard to be a teacher always sometimes, hard and exhilarating. But right now, it's hard to find time to write. And I was just really curious how teacher writers are doing it right now to give us all a little inspiration. Yeah, like two things off of what you're saying. One, we start all this amazing writing in October, but how do we sustain writing? Oh, yes. we, that's what we always want, right? We always get excited to write. We start a blog and then that blog ends up having two posts and it dies. And then we decide not to pay to re-up the subscription <laughs> next year, right? How do we sustain it? So a lot of this conversation is built on like how they sustain the writing life. But I also think that this episode is going to be really good for not only teachers who write or want to write, I think it's going to be good for teachers who have students who write or want to write or students that the teacher would like to want to write. <laughs> because as I listen to these writers, these writers are leading not just, they're not just writing mentor texts, they're leading mentor lives. And we can distill so much from the way they work that we can pass on to not just ourselves, but our students. So today's chat is with, once again, Tammy Bundy, Tim Reiser, Kendra Herber, and Abby Lund. They're all teacher writers and they all write differently about different kinds of things. And I'm gonna to talk to them about habits and processes of writers, as well as how writers manage to balance it all. It's still managing to make time to write. So here it is, my interview in this wonderful writing round table. I'm joined by Tammy Bundy, Tim Reisert, Kendra Herber, and Abby Lund, and I'm so excited to talk to you all today about writing. I mean, after all, it's the Ohio Writing Project. <laughs> so we're just going to talk about, you know, life as a writer. But first, I kind of wanted to introduce everybody to you, if they don't already know your work. Um, so let's just start with what you're all working on as a writer right now. So Tammy, let's start with you. What are you work currently working on? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, I'm just so excited to be here. Anything I can do with OWP, it just fills my heart with joy. I am so excited to be here as part of this. Um, as a writer, I think I am always working on many different things. It's maybe it's more of an ADD type of thing, but I just, uh, I, I'm working on one thing and then I think of another, but um, right now I have, um, I, one of my middle grade novels came out um, right before the pandemic. Um, it's called Pixie Pushes On and then of course all schools shut down and everything. So I'm working on still trying to get that one um, out in the world a little more. I have another um, another book, uh, my debut picture book that's coming out uh, next month, uh, November, also during the pandemic. But uh, hey, I'm, I'm so excited that it's going to be out in the world. It's called Lullaby Prayer from HarperCollins. And um, so working on public relations for that. My agent is just now um, getting ready to submit another picture book. And I have an editor that I'm working with on another middle grade novel. So um, just doing all of those things and always, always then in the distance is 
and then what else should I work on? What else uh, should I do? So I'm kind of in that what else time down the road that I'll be thinking about and dedicating my time to. But it's it's all exciting and wonderful, especially during the pandemic, just to have that element of hope and that things are going to be getting better. Um, so I'm concentrating on that. And you write uh, you write nonfiction, you write fiction, you write picture books. Is yeah. is that what's next thing part of that? diversity and types of writing that you uh, have going on? Yeah, I really have now geared more towards the uh, the fiction. Uh, in the first half of my writing career, um, I just decided I was going to write nonfiction because I was writing a column for the Cincinnati Post and that became a book. And uh, it was all through um, a smaller inspirational um, publisher that I didn't need an agent for. Then I went back to teaching through OWP. I got my master's and uh, got, went back to teaching. And that's when I said I graded one too many book report on Twilight and then thought, okay, I could, I could do this. And so I just became really aware of fiction and how that can really draw readers in. And so that's where I then set my sights on writing middle grade fiction. And for that, I needed to get an agent and do all that. And um, so I have two books with Penguin um, that are middle grade. And then um, my third one that's out right now is a middle grade and then I'm not out, but it's out for submission. And, um, and like I said, my, my, picture book is coming out soon so um so yeah i think i've really really enjoyed the the fiction right now but i've learned never to say never never to pin yourself down and say this is the only thing i write because you're going to find something else that's a good point that's true all right let's go to tim tim what kinds of stuff are you working on right now thank you Noah, for having us and uh tammy great to hear uh, just that great message about the idea of, you know, don't, don't be pinned down or <laughs> always keep working. Um, what I'm working on uh, currently, um, well, it's been a long process, um, but I've been working on a full length album. Um, I do a, a, a lot of songwriting. That kind of uh, predates my teaching career. Um, I, way back when I lived in New York City, uh, I taught in New York City too, but um, I did a lot of uh, home recordings. Um, so kind of independent music and uh, home recordings. And um, this is right about a year ago. So right before you know things got complicated uh, in the spring, uh, in the winter, I uh, spent time in a music studio. Uh, the first time working in a, in a, um, a, a real studio <laughs> um, with a producer and a mixer and uh, um, was developing a full length album. Um, I haven't finished. Um, I have everything written, but uh, it's really nice to be in this stage of, um, I guess, kind of realizing the whole project, um, kind of getting it in, into form. Um, and um, also nice not to have the pressure of <laughs> having to write, <laughs> um, although the writing of music happens uh, continually. Um, it's a slow process, but um, I always keep at it. Um, I'm also, I also work with um, poetry. Um, that's kind of a, a go-to because it's quick and easy for me. Um, I um, am a father uh, to two uh, young children. And so um, any moment I can find to write, uh, it's usually in poetic form. Um, I always joke with my students. Um, I teach creative writing. And so I joke with them that that's the only time I have <laughs> uh, <laughs> devoted to you know a 30 line poem or something like that. Um, but I really like the process and um, I have been working on uh, a lar large collection of poems. 
and um, I continually work towards a poetry grant. Um, it's kind of like my uh, go-to goal. Um, it's a stretch. I know um, I'm, I'm up against tough, tough competition, but it's something uh, that keeps me writing throughout the year. I was worried I'd you know, forget to unmute myself and I remembered at the very last second. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> and you know, Tim and I were in a writing group together and it's been a real joy to get to listen to some of that music. Do you mind if we put your Bandcamp link in the episode description? Oh, yeah. All right. Um, look forward to it. I, I don't have uh, new stuff uh, posted there, but uh, when that will be finished, that'll be posted there as well. Yeah, so. people can at least get a taste. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thanks, Tim. All right, next up is Kendra Herber. So, yeah, hi. Yeah, what are you working on, Kendra? Um, I just finished my memoir, which is called Whole, A Leg Up on Life. And it just takes readers through my journey of growing up as an amputee. I was born with three toes and a missing fibula bone. My foot was crooked, about an inch and a half difference in length. So a lot of struggles, you know, growing up and things like that. But it also takes readers through some of my accomplishments and victories and things like that. Um, but right now, I'm kind of just working on my blog, trying to get more readers and um, a lot of amputees from various support groups and things like that are reading that and just I just am or I just uh, interviewed a Paralympic gold medalist for my most recent blog post so I was really excited about that to hear from Grace Norman who is also uh, an amputee she's below knee just like me so it's pretty neat to see how far she's come wow and it seems like your book is written for people who've gone through things that are adjacent I guess I could say to what you've gone through, right? Yeah, because it really relates not only to people who are amputees, but really any physical problems and just anyone who views themselves as maybe being outside of the mold or just a little different. I'm hoping that it gives inspiration to people and lets them know that we really set up our own barriers for ourselves and we can kind of break through that and lean into what life throws at us a little bit. So hopefully it provides some motivation or encouragement. What an amazing message. Thanks, Kendra. Yeah. So next up we have Abigail Lund. Abby, tell us about what you're working on. And man, I know that you are working on a lot. <laughs> oh, I've got a spaghetti brain. I'm Abigail Lund. I um, am actually working on a project right now that I have been working on for many years. Um, I got really jazzed and excited after um, a forced placement. I was moved from the ELA classroom. Everyone's dreaded um, like biggest disaster into the math classroom. And I thought it was gonna wreck me. I was like, I'm not, I can't do that. I don't know what I'm doing. And like all things I had, I'm a perfectionist. I had to figure it out. And I just decided I have to do this through a writing reading lens. And there are some amazing giants to stand on the shoulders of um, Marilyn Burns and so many people have done this work, but I got very excited about it and started doing some work, writing, researching, and um, was making some progress with like, how can we actually like start, um, you know, writing and reading like truly in classes, not just prompts. Like, how can we do this outside the LA classroom? And I got pregnant with my son um, unexpectedly and uh, my brain turned to mush. 
I didn't write for about a year and it was so painful. I would go to sit down to write and just cry. I couldn't think. I had um, pregnancy brain really badly. And then my son was really colic and not very well when he was born. And so I didn't write for about a year. And I, it was like one of the most painful years of my life. And so I think I'm coming out of that since March. My son has been doing a lot better health-wise. And I have found new life in this project again. Um, and this summer, I um, did some more work through the OWP project and just found people to um, come alongside me and champion some of my work. And I just needed that push again to do it with an 18-month-old. And I, um, since the summer, I just have been plugging along, like just trying to get out all my thoughts, whether they're right or wrong, just get them out on paper and, um, you know, send them to friends and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And so, yeah, kind of collecting thoughts in hopes one day to get something I'm working on. And you know what you're saying, Abigail, about Abby, about your like a uh, year off from writing and how painful that was and how hard it was to get started again. It made me think like about the conditions of writing, which we were already going to talk about next. Like it's almost sometimes don't you all feel like it's equal parts habit and inspiration? Like, I think it's a myth that writers get inspired and that's why they write so much. In my experience, it's I get inspired because I'm writing so much. And if I'm not writing a lot, I don't get inspired. I would, I'm interested to hear some of you all speak to that. Yeah, I say that uh, whenever I do a school visit and they ask me, I said, it's just like anything else you want to do. If you want to be a basketball player, you need to get yourself out there and practice shooting hoops. You know, you, uh, if you want to be a writer, you just have to show up. You do have to show up. But I also want to add too that, you know, I'm the, I'm the old woman in the group now. I don't have the little kids at home, you know, tagging at uh, trying to get my attention. Um, I also think there's a lot of ebb and flow in life. Um, there's, there's sometimes we have to give ourselves the grace of saying, all right, not now. I'm not going to do this right now. I'm going to focus on this. Um, I will get back to you because most of us, I'm sure, are the same psyche that there's going to be something that draws us back to writing. There's going to be that draw. We don't have to worry about that. But just, I always tell, especially young mothers and those with young kids, dads as well, you know, just be, you know, be easy on yourself. Don't feel bad because as a writer, if you go a year without writing, you, send, you tend to think like, oh, that's it. I've just blown my dream. And I'm here to say, don't. I, there were many years I had to go without maybe, you know, writing any more than, you know, what I thought was, you know, a few poems or something, and I came back to it. So I just say, yes, you do have to show up. Yes, you do have to have a routine, but you also have to give yourself some grace. I've point. been thinking a lot about balance this, like, week and thinking about what is balance, um, because we most of us work in a profession that there isn't much balance, and I just... And it's so true, like life is always moving faster than you want it to, right? And balance comes like in waves sometimes, at least for me. And like, sometimes I feel like I get the urge to write. Like I'm like, and like you said, like there's this urge, like I have something to say. I, I have a spare moment. I just need to write, get all my ideas out, whether they're raw, whether they're thought through. Um, but it really does come for me, the practice of setting some time daily to sit down and write. And if it's five minutes and they, it's the same thing they say about working out, you know, like if you exercise five minutes, it's better than no minutes. And I feel like writing really, even though it's hard to hear those like sage old truths, like it's true. Like 
if I give myself five minutes before I start my school day or two minutes while my kids are wrapping up their things to leave for buses, like I find more of a balance for it because writing doesn't always have a balance, but as you, you know, practice and like just brushing your teeth, um, I don't know, it comes more natural every day and you don't really think much about it. You just do it. That's so smart, Abby. I have a, and I see that Tim might be ready to talk after this. So I, I see you there, Tim. Um, my friend Nina, who I'm going to be, who I've interviewed for a future episode about writing in math class, she talks about all the time to me about many habits. And I guess there's like a trend. A lot of people wrote about this. Like, it's not about exercising and doing a hundred push-ups a day because a lot of people can't access that. That's not in there. What we call zone of proximal development. But you can commit to doing one push-up. And then once you do that first push-up, oftentimes you want to do more. So if you can commit to doing like that minimum amount, that manageable amount, because like Abby, I know that you, you have a monthly article with moving writers. You have a monthly post that you have to do for your master's work with the Ohio Writing Project. And any of us who've done that work know that that is pretty intensive work. And on top of that, you're balancing family and you're teaching in a new way, new subject area during a pandemic. That's a lot to balance. So I think that what you're saying is really important. Yeah, but you have to also find something life-giving and writing for me is life-giving. So I think you have to find your mode. And if it's writing, then find a time to do it because you will find, especially in a time where not much is life-giving, you have to find something that gives you gets you jazzed get keeps you going so writing for me right now and it's not always that way in my life obviously for a year writing for me wasn't good for not for now it's so good so I have to like ride the wave yeah Tim Kendra uh what are some of your things that you use to help fall into the habits of writing um I I I uh, really like the idea of um I don't know that writing brings life um, because uh, yeah, life can get in the way of writing. Um, but I, I really, really like the idea that, you know, I become more uh, connected with or maybe even passionate about the things that I'm doing if I'm writing about them. Uh, and um, I also like the idea of a short spurt, um, even in the classroom, uh, just a five minute writing. It doesn't, I always tell my students that, you know, it doesn't have to be finished. Um, but just the seed of an idea or just the thought can lead to more writing. Um, and uh, that's great. You know, I, I think a message for any kind of teacher wanting to do more writing in the classroom, um, it just doesn't take that long. Um, you know, there is some, something to say about endurance and I, I like the, you know, uh, exercise or even weightlifting um, kind of metaphor with that. Um, I, but I also, uh, this is the, I think from Don Murray, he said, uh, you just have to go out to stand under under the lightning and uh that idea that you know there is something you know about urges or inspiration or you know what what drives us to put pen to paper or to type something out um i just um very much want to connect writing with with my life um you know becoming a father maybe write about fatherhood um or if i'm working with my students i ask them, you know, how can this be connected to what you're doing? Or, you know, why is this meaningful for you? Um, I had a colleague uh, tell me, this is right before my son was born. Um, so nine years ago, 
um, he said, make sure you write things down because you'll forget them. And uh, I took that to heart because, um, you know, many sleepless nights or, you know, whole months would go by and not much would get done, <laughs> although papers got graded. Uh, but um, the idea that, you know, there's moments in life that if we don't write them down, we will forget them. Um, or, you know, th there's something to be said too, when it's written down, you, you get to interpret it or shape it a, a, a certain way too. Um, so just, just making meaning in, in one's life. And uh, I just like the idea that, you know, writing about life or writing, a, a writing life is a meaningful life. And I'm kind of different probably in the group because I just write in spurts like crazy. I won't write for a week. And then as soon as something normally happens in my life to inspire me. And then once I start, I write feverishly and won't stop. I need to get it done. I need it to be in my mind, perfect. And then I kind of let it go for a little bit and it comes right back because a lot of my writing does revolve around amputee uh, related things. If something happens in my life that is related, then I need to tell that story because I feel like even though writing is really therapeutic for me and it helps me to decompress and, you know, just it's a release for me. It's also, you know, I'm doing it for other people too. And I, if I have a message that I think might help others or, you know, inspire or whatever it is, then I like am motivated by that. Like what's the result? Who is going to read this and how can that affect them? And that gets me passionate and excited about writing. Kendra, I think you just said something really important that I want to zoom in on just a little bit more. Like this podcast is called Right Answers, but there's not one right answer for the ideal writing conditions, right? Like Stephanie Harvey, we got to talk to her a couple summers ago for, and she said that she doesn't answer questions, she addresses questions. Cause so often the answers are specific to the person in their situation. And uh, nowhere is that more true than with writing. It's, it seems like what I'm hearing from everybody is we all have slightly different conditions and we all have slightly different habits. It seems like your habit Kendra might be you have you live your life with your writing radar on for these kinds of situations jack antos calls it the writing radar i should cite my sources since i'm an english teacher um it seems like that's the way you're living your life right yeah i mean i definitely try to and whatever moment is provided i always think like there's a reason for that and i'll capitalize on that and kind of use the moment so before we move on from this topic, I want to talk about the physical conditions that can create habits. Because, you know, this might be something that I think would help writers. I always tell my students, it one of the great secrets to being able to develop writing habits is to create a space and set of physical materials that make writing more enjoyable. Because it's not enjoyable when you're first entering in, like what Abby was talking about, like what we were talking about with the exercise thing. If you try to run a marathon, but you only run once every six months, it's going to be painful. Same thing with writing. So it can help to create things that make it easier. So I want to talk about my writing habits first, and then maybe we can just pass the ball around. I love a pleasing writing experience. 
I love a good fountain pen. Right now I'm holding my Lamy Studio. Um, I like to write on nice, satisfying paper, like Claire Fontaine creates really good fountain pen writing paper. And that these references will be lost on 80% of the people who listen. Um, and I think coffee is important, but the place is not, doesn't really matter to me. It just needs to be a place where I can be quiet and a place where I can have access to walking dogs or doing something where I can step away from it to get that, to clear out the headspace when things start to get cluttered. I'm kind of curious to hear from all of you. Um, maybe we can start with Tammy. Yeah, do you I'm, have like set writing conditions? I do. I am. I think it's because I do tend to get easily distracted. And uh, I have friends who say like, oh, I make up soundtracks that if I'm writing something for the 70s, I listen to music from the 70s. I'm like, if, if I'm listening to music in the 70s, I'm singing along. And it's like, I'm not doing any writing. So I uh, definitely, I have to have quiet. I'm not one of those people who gets to go sit in Starbucks and, you know, create their novel. I, that's great if that works for you, but for me, and it is just because I'm so easily distracted. It has to be quiet. I have to be in my office. The door has to be shut. Um, the only one allowed in is my little dog. He, uh, he thinks he's my co-writer and he usually sits at my feet. Um, but I, I need quiet. I need, um, I need, you know, coffee is good. Uh, I usually have a coffee there with me too. Um, chocolate is awesome. Um, but I do have my, um, I have a window that's right next to my, uh, my computer too. So that, um, if I'm really just stuck, I can look out the window for something. Walking the dog is always a good thing. Like you'd said that, uh, when I'm really, really stuck for something, I'll take the dog on a walk and usually halfway through that's when it comes to me. But I am a very routine person. I need quiet and I need my office and I need a window. I'm so with you. Like I interviewed Rainbow Rowell, an author, uh, she writes mainly YA books. And she talked about how she listens to music and that opens her heart up to the experience. And then she starts writing or something like that. So I went home and put on like some, a Spotify playlist and I didn't get it. I didn't get a damn word down on paper because I was just so stoked listening to music. I know. I'm, I'm like you. Along, exactly. Having a good time, but not writing. <laughs> Tim, what about you? What are your writing conditions? It's a great question. I, um, I think they've changed. Uh, I think I, I really enjoy, uh, that, um, kind of, uh, concentrated, you know, space or the uh, concentrated, uh, time uh, with writing, but, but it is rare. And so I've kind of figured out how to get notes down, um, quickly. Um, and that's just on my phone, uh, the, the notes app on, <laughs> on the phone. And, um, I, get a line down or uh, just a structure idea. Um, I, I do the same with, you know, longhand or um, I, I have a, you know, a, a small little notebook um, that I use in the classroom quite often. Um, I, I try to write when my students are writing. Uh, and then it's the same idea though. I'm just searching for a line or um, just a structure idea. Um, it's nice though, cause I've learned if I bring that, whether it's the phone or the journal next to the computer, um, it's almost like I upload those ideas into what I'm shaping. And so I've kind of learned how, I think to use every device or every little tool uh, imaginable around me to, to get what, what I need uh, taken care of. Um, I think um, one of the most uh, profound moments of, of writing, I think though, is in like time away from writing. Um, if I'm washing dishes or even just driving in the car um, or listening to a song, uh, an idea will pop 
Um, I, th these are the, like, I don't know, just kind of moments when I'm not forcing the writing into shape um, as long as I can get it down into the journal or onto the notes uh, app quickly. Um, and so it's kind of like a continual writing for me. So. Tim, you're reminding me of some, anyone who's heard me talk in the last two to three months is sick of hearing this. So I apologize to any of those people. Um, but BJ Novak, I heard him in a podcast talk about how his secret is to uh, separate inspiration from execution. And he walks around, he does a process that's really similar sounding to yours, Tim, um, where he just walks around with his notes app, you know, ready. And whenever something happens, he'll just like say it into his phone or type type it into his phone. But then he has one day a week where he sits down and writes. And then he gets out all those notes and flips through looking for those things that inspired him earlier in the week. He collects inspiration so that when it's time to execute, he'll have something. So Kendra, what are some of your conditions for writing? Yeah, I'm no different than Tim, to be honest. Um, my notes app on my phone is probably the most important thing to me. Uh, that's where I write down all of my ideas. Um, but I think one really important thing for me at least is to have quiet time of just like reflection. And it's not even thinking about writing or being near a computer or anything. Most of my ideas come when I'm getting ready to go teach in the morning. I'm doing my makeup or my hair. No one is around me. I'm completely quiet. And I don't have any social media there to distract me or anything. It's just me quiet and able to think. And that's when the ideas really come. But it can happen at the grocery. It can happen whenever. And I do do the text to speech option and have Siri basically type it into my phone. I sound like an idiot in the grocery, but whatever. We do what we have to do. <laughs> Um, what are some what are some things that you might say into your phone in the grocery store that would weird people out? <laughs> well, mine's always about legs, so uh, I'll be like, "Tell about that story when your leg fell off in soccer." <laughs> like, yeah, people are probably looking at me like I'm an idiot. <laughs> my voice, my voice memos though come back. I I think they're brilliant when I I put them in, and then I go to look at them the next day and go like, "What on earth?" was this I have no idea what I was trying to say and what Siri thought I was trying to say but does this ever happen to you Tammy like you you put you do a voice app note and you look at it the next day and there's that deflating feeling or maybe it was you know transcribed wrong but then my, a few, a few weeks later you look at it again and you're like oh I I do remember why that was good now does that ever happen to you Mine's more of the Siri has completely written something that appears to be in a different language. I have no idea what, what I was trying to say. That's nine times out of 10. It's only when I'm like trying to do a certain scene and then if I could just give myself a key word, but now I've gotten to the point where I try to, if I'm driving or something, I'll do it voicemail. And then as soon as I get there, I'll look at it right away while it's still fresh in my mind. Oh, so yours is more of like a transcription issue then. Yes. For yeah. me, I get really bummed out on the ideas that I thought were good at first. <laughs> but then I've learned that if I don't delete them and just leave them in there anyway, sometimes they I come back to it later and realize yeah. that it actually was good. At, it just, you know, I, I don't know what the psychological thing it is that happens. Once you write something down, that first time you look at it and you realize it's not as good as you thought it would be. Absolutely. I think that happens to all of us, whether you're writing in a notebook or on a voice memo. Um, I keep everything. I tend to be a pack rat anyhow, but I keep, I keep all of my notebooks and voice memos and things. And 
if you don't need it now, maybe you'll need it later. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get to Abby, who is, I won't get too much into your personal life, Abby, but she's joining us from her car right now because, you know, family life gets a little crazy. Uh, what are your conditions <laughs> for writing in your current so, situation? <laughs> yes, I am in my car because my 18-month-old is teething, and I guess nobody really wanted to listen to him cry. So my husband's at home with him. Um, But you know what? I'm sitting here just giggling at myself because I married an artist. My husband is an architect. We met in school. So I have become very particular when it comes to paper, when it comes to pens, when it becomes to this, to that. I love the psychology. I love all of the like research behind paper to pen. I so think it's so romantic to write, bring your like moleskin or your lightweight journal around with you and sketch what you see around the world. Like I see my husband do that and he's like, I'm gonna sketch this building real quick. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like what? You're so cool. But then like, I love the idea. But then when, when the writing actually comes to me, like I have an idea, like it never happens. I'm going to be straight up honest with you. Like, I love my notebooks. I write in my notebooks. When I have a quiet few moments, sometimes I, you know, I pull out, pull them out and write in them. But sometimes they actually just frustrate me. I kind of live, I live in chaos. I teach fifth graders. I'm constantly moving. And I kind of like feed off. I know you all, some of you were like, no, this isn't me, but I feed off the chaos. Like, I'm like, yeah, put on some music that is moving fast, as fast as my mind is moving, because I move fast. Uh, no one ever under like my all the teams I've ever been a part of they're like Abigail you talk way too fast we don't understand what you're saying gotta slow down like five notches and I'm like no just catch up it's fine so with writing I feel like I can type it all out it might make no sense but I at least can get every thought that was inside out and then I have to find someone who'll listen to me and I'm really lucky I have a lot of introverted friends and a lot of friends that don't care to talk and they just care to listen uh, my husband, my poor husband, he knows more about education than anybody probably should that is not in the educational field. And he'll just listen and I'll go around and around with all my ideas that I've typed out. And then I'll be like, oh, and that was, I mean, I inspire myself. It's quite embarrassing. I'll be like, oh yeah. And then there, that's a good idea. And my husband might say a word or two. I'll be like, oh, that's a good idea too. So I live in the chaos. I listen to loud music. I, I type when my students are all talking. I'm like, guys, don't talk to me for a second. I gotta like get this thought out here. Um, that's how I live. I really wish that I lived in the quiet and in the romance of using my pen and my paper, but alas, it is just not for me. I think that uh, what you're going through is what a lot of teachers go through, though. That's super relatable, Abby. I, I think that learning how to write through the chaos or maybe learning how to enjoy writing through the chaos is probably something that could be valuable for a lot of people. So it feels good. It feels good to get all those ideas and thoughts out, especially in the chaos, because I feel like sometimes you're and maybe you guys feel the same if you're in the classroom it goes so fast when you're working that if you have an idea or you have something, it, I just get more excited because I'm like, oh, this is an idea. Like, this is something we could do. That We could do this later. We could do this today. We could do this in five minutes. Okay, I got to get this idea out so we could do this in five minutes. Um, that's like how I work. Like, I just throw away all my plans if I think of something better. And so, I don't know, it, it's inspiring or it gives inspiration. So this is a perfect segue into the next topic that we wanted to explore how do you balance writing with your other professional obligations whether it's teaching whether it's speaking engagements whether it's um or even just like it doesn't even have to be professional it's like how do you balance writing with the needs of your families needs of people around what are some things that you do to to balance 
your life so that you can find time to write, but also not feel like you're shortchanging something else. Yeah, that was always hard when uh, when my kids were little. Um, I I often wrote about being a mom, and my nonfiction books were starting with uh, with being a mom, and so. Um, I would get most of my ideas while I was rocking a little one to sleep and I'll, and it'd be the same thing as like, I got to put this baby down so I could write this down before I forget it. But that's how I processed what happened in the day, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It all came out that way. Um, then, uh, when I started teaching full-time and wanted to write fiction, uh, it was, it was a struggle. I, you know, I, I will be the first to say that it took me a long time, much longer than, you know, I wanted it to. Um, but I look back and realize it took the exact amount of time it needed to take. Um, my first middle grade novel, um, I wrote and we sold it and we did, I had to get an agent then I had to get, uh, an editor and I had to get, uh, the edits, you know, which a lot of people don't know that it's like, six, seven rounds of editing that goes on. So all of that happened while I was teaching high school English. Uh, my second middle grade novel, I wrote you know, while I was teaching uh, as well. I will be honest that I can't start a project when I'm teaching. I had to start it during the summer when I have more time to actually sit and think and, and not grade papers and not do all that. So I kind of learned that about myself uh, because before I had these, I had, um, three other uh, manuscripts that to this day are still just in a file somewhere that nobody is, is, is reading. Um, and it took me the fourth one to, uh, to actually get the agent and then to get, uh, to get the book deals. So um, I just had to figure out what worked for me. And again, try to let go of the guilt because when you are focusing on one thing, whether it's your professional, you know, the job that's paying you the most or your kids, we tend to just feel guilty about everything that we're not doing. So we really, again, have to just come back and say, this is the hat I'm wearing right now. And I need to, um, to not feel bad about it. Cause it, it was a juggle. It's gotten so much easier now that, you know, I I'm older than I, I teach, um, I teach through Miami right now. Um, but my classes this semester are all online. So, um, it's just, I just set aside, I know I have to do this today and I'll, I'll do this uh, for Miami and my students and then I'll do this for PR and then I'll do this for uh, creative and honestly the one that usually gets uh, the lower end of the deal is always my new creativity thing that's because that needs time to flourish and that needs time you really have to cultivate it and water the seeds and watch it grow so that's why I think even when I mentioned what I was doing it's all about the things that I already have in motion, not the thing that I have yet to think of, because that's always the scariest and the hardest to take time for. That's so true. What about you, Tim? Um, I like this question because uh, I think there's a certain power in when I write, my students are writing. Um, and I, I don't know if it's just that, you know, skepticism that students tend to have, especially high school students, <laughs> they wanna say, okay, you know, you're telling me to write, you know, what, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, and um, I like uh, just that message that if I have my journal out while they're doing journaling, um, you know, five, 10 minutes or something like that in the class, um, I don't have to be writing that whole time. Um, but if I start with them, you know, if, if I duck out for a few minutes to take attendance or uh, to pass out some uh, uh, missing handouts or something like that, that, um, they saw me start with them. Um, I sometimes share what I've uh, written, um, but I find it's pretty powerful to, you know, empower those voices in the classroom. Um, 
you know, it, it does come down to if, you know, if I'm showing them how to structure paragraphs, I show them how I can do it. Um, or if I talk about writer's moves, um, I can show them some writer's moves that I use. Um, but ultimately, it, it is putting their work up there uh, on, on, the, on the TV screen or um, having them read aloud from the journal so that they, they, they get to hear their voices. Um, I think um, what, what really impacted me greatly in teaching creative writing was um, my, my wife and I, she's an artist and we do artist books together. Uh, and she taught me a thing or two about bookbinding. And that whole set of knowledge, I, when, I, when I went into my classes for creative writing and I asked if they were willing to make their own collection of poetry or uh, put their short story into a, a, a chapbook form, um, it took polishing and <laughs> publication to a, a, a new level that suddenly they worried about grammar and punctuation and <laughs> all the things that I wanted them to worry about uh, or be concerned with. And um, it just became so, so real for them. And so um, in that way, I, I think um, a lot of the things I do with writing really translate into the class. Um, I really enjoy when I can write with my students. Um, but again, I, I put their voices up first or uh, ask that they show their, their voices through the process. Wow. So Kendra, how do you balance writing with your professional life and all the other things? Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that I'm not the only one that writes while my students write. I thought that would like made me a bad teacher or something because I'm like kind of doing my side thing while they're doing their thing. But no, I think it does really set a great example for them. And in fact, with my book that I wrote, I wrote it in seven months and it was the school months. So it was crazy. Like I was feverishly writing while I'm teaching creative writing and they're writing and they're, they actually helped me with some things. I'm like, what do you guys think about this? And they were like my springboard and that was fantastic. They kind of were able to be a part of the whole process and they got excited about their own writing because they saw me on fire about mine. Um, but otherwise, I tend to compartmentalize. Like if I am being a mom at the moment, I'm going to be a mom at the moment. And if I am writing, then I'm all in on writing and I'm trying not to focus on other things. Um, but right now I'm trying to be a little realistic as well and give myself some grace because life is really busy. I have two young daughters and through the book publication, I've networked and met some really cool people and that's kind of opened up some other doors. I just signed with a modeling agency right now and I'm also working on my blog. So I think for now the writing is just going to happen through the blog. I don't really expect to be writing another memoir or any full-length novel or anything like that. I just I don't think that's in the cards for me right now but that's okay. You know writing doesn't have to all be about publication. And I think you're talking about two things that I wanted to jump into a little bit. Um, first of all, it's, I wanted to talk about writing role models. And because you and Tim are both talking about this. And I also want to talk about why write, aside from just publishing. Like, first of all, we hammer this home all the time, maybe even in parent teacher conferences that kids need reading role models, they need to be surrounded by books at home. They need parents who read and all that kind of stuff, right? But most parents aren't gonna be also writers. I mean, I wish them more were, but writing 
we need to change what writing means so that more family members will also write and show that writing is more than just getting published. Like probably I'm betting if you're anything like me, publishing the writing is like the part where it's the least fun. Like it's cool when it first comes out and then it's over. But what was really fun was the challenge of grappling with the writing that led up to the publishing. So that's the first thing. And also just the writing that doesn't get published. The other thing is if kids are not gonna, or students are not gonna have writing role models at home, at least for the time being, where are they gonna get their writing role models? Probably at school, probably English teachers like you all. When they see you sitting down writing, that's the writing role model that shows that, hey, adults in the world write and it makes their life richer somehow. So I wanted to just kind of jump in on that a little bit. Abby, what are some things that you do to balance uh, writing with the chaos? Or maybe how do you find writing in the chaos? Yeah, so this is a really good question. I just want to say that. Um, I feel like writing for me, I'm a verbal processor and I have been all my life. And I found in my life that people often tune me out because I think I talk too much. Um, I don't think anyone would admit that, but I found that when I write, I have for the first time, whatever I'm writing about my audience's attention. And maybe that's because I refine my words. Maybe that's because people can read my words over and over and hopefully like maybe then they'll soak in, but it feels like it gives me a greater sense of purpose. So I feel like my, my writing spills into my personal life and my personal life goes into my writing and my professional writing because I felt feel more heard if that makes sense I'm not in this struggle of does anyone even understand what I'm saying yeah in any area of my life I feel like it gives me a platform to um yeah to be understood and to be heard and and I'm also very lucky to have a very supportive partner I have a partner who's very creative and um, like gets energy and feeds off energy of creativity. And so when I'm writing and when I'm using that part of my brain and being creative, he's creative as well uh, because we feed off each other in that way too. So I think that helps. And to find someone, uh, that, I think that gives balance to your life if you can find someone who also can feed into uh, your writing or your creativity or wherever you um, get that creative urge to write, whether it's professional or private. And then they blend, right? Then they can be something that actually is like life-giving and it's not just like a thing I have to do and a thing we do at school. Like if we actually integrated like writing into our lives, like our students wouldn't feel like this is something, oh, it's writing class now. Like, no, we always write. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter that we're writing. We're writing in math, we're writing in science, we're writing at home, we're writing when we see a pretty building and sketching. And I mean, what is writing? And so I think, yeah, what you said before, Noah, we need to redefine what even writing is. It's not a five paragraph essay, enough of it, enough of that. It's it's just getting out our thoughts and words and filling places with our thoughts and words and feeling heard. Yeah. So, sorry, that was a tangent, but. No, that was perfect. And you have a really uh, masterful way of answering questions that segue into the next topic. Um, <laughs> Cause I wanted to talk about how writing spills into the way you teach or live. And what I mean by that is like I've noticed the phenomenon in my life. Um, I write musicals about weird things like spiders and milk. Um, <laughs> in 2018, before the pandemic, I wrote about a musical about a virus. And 
now I can't really show that to anybody because <laughs> I feel like it's too soon. Um, <laughs> but I also write, you know, I write a monthly column for moving writers. Um, and I've noticed that writing makes me live more intentionally. Like I listen to music so, and I choose music that will be inspiring or choose music that I want to use as a jumping off point. When I listen to music, when I go for a walk, I am going for a walk with my mind in the headspace that I'm going to be ready to receive ideas. When I teach in the classroom, my wife has a good friend. Well, I have a good friend now too. He's my friend. Um, he was an anthropologist. And one day he was talking about how he, he works with Aboriginal groups in Australia, or he worked with, and he takes field notes and he just observed them and just wrote things down that he was noticing. I'm like, oh God, why am I not doing that in the classroom? So that's where a lot of my moving writers posts come from. I just take notes on what I'm seeing in each individual student. Um, when there's a good lesson that's going well, I get out the notebook. I'm like, okay, why is this going well? Who's doing what? What's causing this to happen? When lesson falls apart, I'm like, okay, why is this lesson falling apart? And it's taken a lot of the sting out of bad lessons, by the way, because I'm just studying them and it's interesting instead of painful and a blow to my ego. Um, but it's made me live intentionally writing leads me to live a more intentional life so i'm kind of curious to see how this works or if it works um with your lives Do, how does writing lead you to live more intentionally how does writing spill into your life a hundred percent more intentional i think those who have the writer's heart um they just feel things more deeply, we're paying more attention, which is why sometimes there are mental issues with the writer's life, because we just overanalyze everything. Um, the very first things I wrote, as I said, uh, were about um, you know incidences with my kids. And sometimes I would have to honestly remind myself to live the moment rather than just get ready to write about the moment. I would find myself at a birthday party kind of like, you know, as if I had zoned out, but I wasn't zoning out. I was actually trying to store it in the back of my brain somewhere. And I, I had to walk that balance of, you know, I need to absorb, you know, it's kind of like the people who are on their cell phones now, you know, it's like, are you just going to record the moment or are you going to live the moment first? And I think that was uh, what I did. So definitely, I think it has made me more observant. Um, I, I love the fact that you were talking about um, you writing these down. So many of you have the little kids. Um, I can't tell you that what it means to me today to have those down now because I just became a grandma this summer and to be able to go back and to read some of the things about my daughter when she was first born, I, I did write them down and I did remember them, but they were so far in the back of my brain that I, I now to go back and to read those things, it's just another dimension of awesome that I can share these and I can send these to her and I can say, oh my gosh, look at this chapter I wrote. And it's, you're going to be so happy you wrote them down. You're going to be so happy you live that way because yes, you're going to blink and it's all going to disappear and they're going to be grown up. But to have things written down, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's in, at the home, you, you never regret having a record of, of, of what you were feeling for that moment. It just, it, it's been my therapy throughout my entire life. Tammy, you're making me think about Ken Burns documentaries too. I love Ken Burns. Because I mean, isn't that what those documentaries are? It's what you're doing. He finds letters, he finds journal entries. And if people hadn't written those down, if people had ripped out those pages because they didn't think they were good or something, yes. uh, there wouldn't be that record. 
So I love, I just, I love that idea. Exactly. And I love the fact that you guys are talking about having, you know, just being a mentor of writers too, because um, I, one of the coolest things when my, one of my, my first middle grade book came out, I had just stopped um, teaching and so many of my old students came and they were like, oh my gosh, we watched you work on that. And we, you inspired us to do this. And it's just, it was just the cool moment of, of having that, that full circle thing. So, um, and it is my, I have, I have four kids and they all, um, three of them are songwriters and uh, one of them is, is working on a, a, a book too. So definitely mentor for each of them. I mean, no wonder they have such a writing role model too. Oh, thank you. They've taken it to a next level. I think they're pretty awesome. Can we just take a moment of silence though for Ken Burns? Because Ken Burns is the only person that can make me cry watching tell me a he civil died. war documentary <laughs> that's six hours long. I'm crying. Yeah, oh. uh, why am I crying, Ken? Why did you just make me cry? I don't know. Maybe it's the panel of the picture that I could see in any museum. I'm not sure. Is it the music? I don't know. Is it his wonderful storytelling? Probably. Okay, I'm sorry. We just had to go a little bit on a tangent about Ken Burns. As a matter because... of fact, my kids wrote um, from after watching the Ken Burns documentary. There's this letter, my dear Sarah. Uh, I mean, and they wrote this beautiful song that was just taken from this Civil War soldier who wrote. Um, to his wife, if I never make it back. And, you know, so yes, I, you find writing inspiration anywhere. So I love Ken Burns. And good writing. Speaking of Ken Burns, we're not going to do a moment of silence because I think that's bad for podcasts. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, speaking of Ken Burns, like I remember watching one episode where there's a soldier who's writing this beautiful letter. It's so poetic. He's talking about how he can't wait to get back to the farm or something like that. This is a farmer who is also a soldier who's a better writer maybe than I'll ever be just writes so beautifully. And I'm like, he, I'm, I'm wondering if he went to school. I'm wondering if he went to college. I'm wondering if he even had an English teacher because of, you know, the way things were during that time. Writing begets good writing more than oftentimes what school will do. And I think that, you know, they didn't have phones. What were you going to do other than write in your journal, other than go out and do work and live? So I think that it says something interesting just about writing too itself, these primary sources that Ken Burns likes to pull. So anybody else want to uh, jump in on how writing spills into your life before we wrap this thing up? Tim, go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, just to uh, kind of carry that thought uh, forward too and, and to answer the question, uh, the idea that language teaches or uh, to kind of let let the language teach me. Um, and I try to, you know, you know, bring that into the classroom, but I also just every moment, I'm just in awe of how these words um, either combine or I can be playful with them. Um, or even, uh, you know, going back to song lyrics, if I'm listening to a song and I mishear something and I thought, wait a minute, <laughs> or um, that, you know, I, I, I can kind of, um, you know, even embrace accidents uh, or grammatical mistakes, um, or even you know think of a, a moment in a poem where the syntax is just strange and it just grabs you a, a, a you know and makes you pause. Um, and I think um, that that idea of you know language can really teach. Um, and there there are many times in the writing classroom um, I, I I don't want to work with hypotheticals. I I just want to see something on the page. Uh, and a student can't start unless the student has written something. <laughs> and so um, often just showing them how to get started or um, even I, I 
I can show them many times when I got started and it didn't go anywhere. Um, but at least um, I can show them how how that start begins. Um, uh, just the idea that too that um, I, I I think especially with teaching creative writing we talk a lot, uh, often about what does create creativity mean or what does it mean to be creative. Um, but it really for a lot of ways just looks at the playfulness of language and just how amazing it is. Beautiful. What about you, Kendra? I think that writing spills into my life and makes me more vulnerable. I have tried to embrace that vulnerability. When you write a memoir, it's all about your life and there's really no hiding and the book gets into reader's hands that you don't even know. And you're like, wow, you know a lot about me now and I don't really know anything about you, but I have to be okay with that. Um, but that's actually been a beautiful thing. And when my walls and barriers have come down, I have been able to connect with people much more intimately. And I just think that relationships have grown through that. So I've loved that aspect, but also in teaching, I think that writing myself has made me realize that I don't love some of the rules and confining aspects that I had been teaching previously. And I'm like, why can't a sentence fragment be beautiful? <laughs> like sometimes you need it to be concise and powerful. And you know, a three word fragment is so great. It makes such a statement. And I keep telling the students like, it's okay to break some rules every once in a while. Just make sure that they're purposeful. And, um, Obviously, I thought I had a story to tell, so I wrote about it, but they all have stories to tell too. And I think sometimes when we teach writing, we are so concerned about the technical side of things and we forget that they have a story and we try to take them out of their writing and make it so formal. And we lose a lot of what they have to say and I'm, I'm hoping to leave that with them, especially this year, now that I have kind of gone through the process myself. That's beautiful. Any final thoughts, anybody, before we bring this thing on home? I was just going to say that, um, oh, sorry, I was just going to say that writing is an escape from everyday life for me but also a deep connection to what I'm feeling and seeing every day. So even though I maybe have tricked myself to thinking that, oh, I'm escaping by writing and I've got my own little world here and I can get all my thoughts out. It's really just a connection to everything that I'm living. So it's not much of an escape actually because it's what's around me. And so um, in that way, even though it feels like an escape, I'm still connected to the things that are most important to me. And that's how it spills out, I think into my writing, my life and my writing or be, become one. Awesome. I always say that so many people come up to me and say, um, I want to be a writer. And I think that the one thing that so many people don't realize is that you are a writer, you're writing, you know, and I think I have so many people say like, oh, but I've been writing for so long. And I just, I'm like, no, you, if you are writing and you are getting it down and that's maybe that's all you're supposed to do for right now but they so often they only look at the end result if I get published then I'm successful and I just always try to strip that away and say no 
you are successful because, you know, it's like that expression of, you know, you collapse the butterfly net down on the butterfly and you grab that moment, you grab the moment of the butterfly and you will forever have that written down regardless of if there is a so quote unquote official publication of it, you know, that you're writing it down for a reason. And so I always just want to impress upon people that, you know, if whether it is the escape or whether it's shining the light on the moment that it's so good for us. And I just think if the whole world wrote, um, we'd be in much better shape. <laughs> episode was so much fun to record, but it was very difficult to come up with a title. I went through a bunch of different ideas. I have sticky notes full of ideas in my hand right now. Writing teacher, teacher writers, frustration, inspiration, execution, balance, a conversation about writing, life is busy, writing role models, the life-giving powers of writing, maybe even something about Ken Burns. But in the end, Tammy just said it all. The world would be a better place if everyone wrote. I think we're going to go with that. If you want to get in touch with or follow Tammy, Kendra, Abby, or Tim on social media, you can find their information in our episode's description. You can also find a copy of Tim's poem that I shared at the beginning of the podcast in the episode's description. Now, this episode description is chock full of stuff. So let me just say a couple more things. If you want to sign up for a, the writing group that Beth and I were talking about, where you can join a community of other serious teacher writers, be sure to click on the link that'll take you to a form where we can make sure that we contact you with uh, how you can join that group. If you just want to be kept in the loop for future OWP events, I have an email address for that in our description. I also have a, my email that you can uh, submit a poem to if you want to be featured on a future episode. So reach out, join our community, and if nothing else, thanks for tuning in to Write Answers. <laughs> <laughs>